what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i'm your other co-host Corey tyndall and this is our first after show of the new year officially yeah and we're gonna be talking about um cloverfield (laughs) and 10 cloverfield lane as 10 cloverfield lane just came out (laughs) but before we get into that Corey, have you been watching anything this week um not a ton. I did mention I did get to watch The Man from Uncle. Yay! Yeah. It what did was, you think? It was fun. It was great. I, I mentioned to you off mic, it was nice to see Henry Cavill in something that I like mm-hmm. because, spoilers, next week we're talking about Batman v Superman and Corey is not predisposed to like it. So <laughs> um, it was nice to see him in this movie and it's like wow you're really you're a good actor and i like you yeah i feel like he plays his role really well and i didn't know like i mean i kind of knew like man from uncle was like spy movie because we had talked about and you talked about on the podcast but i didn't realize it was kind of like buddy cop ish oh yeah so it's just like ah that's that's my sweet spot so it was great army hammer was really good in it he's so good (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh i i loved it it was just it was so fun. Like Hugh their banter. Yeah, Hugh and Hugh Grant. Grant. Come back. I was like, when's he gonna show up? And then he kinda shows up like halfway through the film. Like he runs into him at that like party or whatever at, yeah. on the racetrack. I was like, Oh, Hugh Grant. Oh, is that all they're gonna do with them? And then like kind of the reveal in the third act. I'm like, Yeah, who Hugh Grant. Yeah. He's so good in that movie, man. <laughs> and just the way yeah, like you were saying, the the way they interact with mm-hmm. each other is really good. And then Alicia Vikander too. Yeah. Like she fits really nicely into into that sort of group. Yeah, and the whole the whole just how everything is just like, oh, the American spy team and then Russia and then really how like Britain's in there too, kinda like pulling some of the strings. It was just really fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was just one of those movies where it's like, it's just fun to watch and it was like very well done and well paced and I just liked it. I was just like, Yeah, I could see how like we we were talking about like, oh, last year was like the year of the spy. And all the movies, I'd say, yeah, I think I liked it better than uh, Spectre. Yeah, and, and I was fine with Spectre. Yeah. I was one of the few people who didn't hate Spectre. <laughs> so, and I and I feel like it was for me. It was enough. Like there was enough difference from like Mission Impossible. That I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I still enjoyed Mission Impossible, but this felt like closer to a Bond movie. Yeah, definitely. And that's like because it's based off a TV show from the sixties. Mm-hmm. So the the whole conceit of the TV show was sixties or mm-hmm. was american james bond yeah so it very much was intentionally going for that feel yeah uh, the the tv show even so yeah it was, it was just a good time so yeah. i i really enjoyed it it was yeah. really fun and the dialogue's really funny like yeah i really like when they're like uh we'll leave you two alone and then everyone gets up and just yeah leaves. it's like the whole place is bugged with like agents oh that was great yeah oh and then the bugs themselves like they just oh go yeah and like these are russian made these are american made yeah. oh man 
so good. And he's like, and very low tech. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, what did you think of the scene where they break into the chemical plant? Oh, oh yeah. I thought that when they're going to get the, when they find the one part to the safe, right? Or the vault. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Just how they would kind of back and forth like, oh, I'm really proficient in this Mm -hmm. area. And then the other person's like, uh, you're an idiot. I'm, I know how to do this. And like, it would go back and forth. It was really fun. And then the boat chase. Yeah, that was really fun. Like (laughs) Henry Cavill's character, like falls off the boat and then he gets over to like a a trucker's truck and he gets in there and kind of, you know, puts his napkin on him and is having a glass of wine, a sandwich. And like in the foreground, like through the windshield, you see Army Hammer's character in the speedboat, like going away from like the security people just back and forth. And there's like all kinds of explosions and stuff. And he finally like gets exasperated and drives his boat, his truck into the water. All the time opera music is playing. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's such a fun scene. That's like my favorite part of the whole movie. It was really good. Yeah. I thought the soundtrack was actually really good in that movie. Yeah. Too. I thought it had some pretty good music music yeah there was like some cool french like uh, like french pop music that yeah was really good. like when they're sneaking back into the hotel so they're n- they don't get caught i really li- like whatever song that was I yeah really- <sighs> man i just i just was like man henry cavill i like you a lot more because the last thing i watched with him in it was man of steel and so i've just kind of not been i've not been on that hype train for this upcoming movie so it's just like you are really good in this yeah he's really like charming like he has a personality in this yeah or i feel like he's just like a blank slate when he's superman yeah so. just like uh, i mean i was watching it was just like yeah you totally like are emanating like a bond type character yeah 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 definitely so. and i almost feel like it may have hurt his chances to play bond you think so maybe like i i haven't heard him in the conversation for they're planning on expanding man from uncle right are they gonna no um because the way it kind of ended it was very set up of like okay we're gonna make this like an ongoing like new kind of reboot franchise i think that was the goal but i don't know if enough people saw it really yeah it kind of flew under the radar and the people who did see it were like that was okay so i don't know oh yeah man it was so fun yeah i know i know but guy Ritchie is like He's pursuing this, like, crazy King Arthur franchise right now. (laughs) He wants to do, like, seven or eight King Arthur movies. What? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I don't know about that guy right now, but... (laughs) He's a wild card. Yep. But yeah, so that's that was the main thing I watched. It was really fun. So nice. yeah. What about you, MJ? Uh, I actually got a chance to rewatch a movie that I don't remember if I've talked about on the podcast or not, but it's a movie called They Came Together. I think I've talked about it before. That one was Steve Carell and Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, yeah. Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Oh yeah. yeah. I've looked into multiple times watching that movie. You and... need to watch it. Really? Yeah. It's so funny, man. Oh, I've heard it was, like, really terrible. Like, it was a comedy that, like, flopped. It was... It's hilarious. Like, it is... Well, okay. So, full (laughs) disclosure, it is square up the, like, airplane parody film that I love so much. Yeah. The Precinct. It's, it's like The Precinct, but... Yeah, Precinct. Yep. It's, it's The Precinct, but with a romantic comedy instead of, like, buddy cop Mm -hmm. noir stuff. So, it... It very much is taking the trappings of the romantic comedy and then just totally making fun of them. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. I thought, I, I, Like I said, that's the second time I've seen it. It was still just as funny to me as the first time I watched it. There's so many ridiculous jokes in it. Yeah. Um, there's 
possibly the best cameo of the year it came out, which I think is 2014, mm-hmm. is in it, uh, which is... You just have to watch it, man. But it is a hilarious, hilarious, hilarious movie. And so it very much, if you don't like Airplane, if you don't like really like weird and surreal humor, yeah. you're going to hate it. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's from the guys who did Wet Hot American Summer, which I talked about on the podcast. Yeah. So that's, I mean... It's in that vein. It's in that vein, like talking can of mixed vegetables. Yeah. To the point where Paul Rudd actually has a painting of the talking can of mixed vegetables from Wet Hot American oh, really? in his apartment in this movie. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it because I hadn't seen Wet Hot American Summer at that point, but yeah. having just watched it within the last month, I, I noticed it right away. I was like, ah, that's kind of sweet. Yeah, you're like, um, oh. Yeah, but it, 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 there are a ton of like super surreal jokes. Like there's a scene with subtitles Mm-hmm. And they're going back and forth with the subtitles, and one character sneezes, and the subtitles turn into Scrabble tiles. Oh, <laughs> on like in the movie, they, yeah. like, they land on the table, and the guy like looks around, like, does anyone else see that? And hides them real quick. Oh, <laughs> so it's like that's the kind of jokes you're dealing okay. with in this movie. But I think that's hilarious. Yeah, like, that is right in my like zone of make me laugh every single time it happens everyone loves paul rudd and i love amy poehler yeah yeah. they're both hilarious in it um bill Hader and ellie kemper Mm -hmm. are in it and they're like they're ridiculous uh jack rick brayer who plays kenneth the page on 30 rock is in it um keenan's got a cameo in it (laughs) Uh, Ed Helms has a cameo. Okay. In it. Yeah. There's, there's, it's like, yeah. if you're a comedy person, you're going to recognize a bunch of faces in this. So. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely like you have to be kind of a hardcore comedy person mm-hmm. to like this movie, but it's so funny, man. I don't, I, I've heard it, people who didn't like it either, but I, I don't understand why. I thought it was ridiculous. Oh, well. Maybe I'll, I'll look into it, because my wife and I love Amy Poehler, and so there's been multiple times where we're like, we should watch this movie, and then I like, look at the reviews, or like what other people have told me, and it's like, uh, it's not so good. Oh man, I love it. I think the movie's so funny. Anyway, so yeah, that's about all I got to watch, but we've been talking about a news item each week, Yeah. and I have one that I want to talk about this week. All right. I want to talk about the Civil War trailer. Let's talk. So, <laughs> right out the gate, I'm not going to bury the lead here. You like Spider-Man is your guy. Yeah, he is. He's so my favorite superhero. We got a Spider-Man reveal at the end of the Civil War. Trip. Yes. So what do you think about that? I'm I'm excited. I'm okay. excited. Um there's a little like mixed emotion, some kind of questions I have, but just for for what we got to see, I was excited. And you know, at first I was kind of like taken aback by the costume, but then like, you know, I immediately I realized I was like, oh, okay, they're going like more original Spider-Man. And then like the stuff with his eyes, I was like, oh, it's kind of like the Steve Ditko uh, Spider-Man eyes, like one of the early people who did Spider-Man. So I was like, okay, I could, I could be on board with this. So I was super excited. I was super excited. Like, I was like, are they going to give it to us? Are they going to give it to us? And you know, like... The title card comes up, and I was like, oh, maybe not. And it's like, okay, we have, like, 15 seconds left. And then it's just like, Tony Stark's, like, underoos. And I was like, oh, you hear that web, and you're just like, oh, crap, it's happening. <laughs> they got the web noise. Yeah. Oh, man, it sounds so good. And he has he has web shooters the on his wrist is, yeah. and the bell. And I was just like, I'm, I'm down to see what happens. 
I guess some of the early reviews people have talked about that like the film's really good, but like they praise Black Panther and Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm so so I'm Panther. I'm really I'm excited for him too. But yeah, I was so stoked when I oh man. So yeah, that that that's just I love the whole trailer, but that was just like the cherry on top for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, so the, the, to, we'll talk about the Spider-Man reveal first and then get into the, mm-hmm. the grander stuff in the trailer. I was really surprised that it happened. Yeah. I feel like they didn't need to do that. <laughs> like, I'm still a little confused as to the business decision behind doing that. You don't need to sell this movie more. Like, I don't think you needed to guarantee the <laughs> Spider-Man audience. People were going to go <laughs> see this already. Yeah. And so it just kind of felt like, I mean, it felt like icing on the cake. It didn't feel yeah. like super, like marketing yeah but it did feel like why did you do that like i don't understand the decision there you didn't you, you know yeah. it felt like almost if there was no interest in the movie they could do that yeah and that would like... generate excitement but everyone i've talked to is like either they're a little nervous because of the amount of characters in the yeah movie, but they're generally pretty excited yeah so that like was a little confusing for me but as far as you know, they've done it so there's nothing i can do about yeah that. I am really excited for him. Yeah. He looks like an Alex Ross painting. Yeah. Which I, like, immediately, I was like, that's an Alex Ross suit. And then yep. the eyes got, like, yeah. thinner. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what? And I watched the trailer again, and I noticed that there's a noise. Like, yeah. Like, clicking noise. And I was like, oh, they're tech? That's so cool. Yeah, so, like, Tony probably built the suit for mm-hmm. him. But then it's really cool because they're able to, like, kind of pay homage to the different looks of Spider-Man. And, like, in the comics, that's a lot of, like, how he emotes. And I know, like, right. kind of in the past movies, it's kind of just been, like, you have to have the static eye. And, like, that's fine, but it was just really cool to see that. Right. Well, I think that we've kind of been in this upswing in masked characters who have their eyes covered. Yeah, you know, Deadpool CG'd the eyes and it really fit the tone of the movie. Like, it didn't really... They they CG'd the eyes to emote yeah. and it didn't feel out of place for the character. It actually felt really natural. Mm-hmm. And so when I first saw the Spider-Man reveal, I thought they had done that and I was like, that looks a little weird because of how big Spider-Man's eyes are. Yeah. And then once I noticed that they were tech, I was like, oh, that's actually a little bit... That's yeah. really clever to, like, hide that. Plus, you get to do... You know, like you said, Tony may have built the suit for yeah. it, which means there's a little bit of an homage to Iron Spider, but you don't yeah. have a full-on Iron Spider, because I think that would be ridiculous yeah, to do like... on a, in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I think Dark Knight really, like, blew the, the door open on, like, you can have comic book eyes. Yeah. they gave him the, the like, sonar eyes, which were really mm-hmm. cool. But it was like, that's why Batman's eyes are white. He yep. uses the sonar. And so... There was, like, a reason behind it, and I mm-hmm. think ever since then, it's been obviously an eight-year yeah. lead-up to that, but I think we've finally kind of accepted that we can have comic booky eyes in, in our comic book movies. And even just hearing Tom Holland, just, like, the the, the kind of line, I was just like, it's perfect. It just feels like that's how... And I know some people are like, what? That's so weird. But it's, like, it's Spider-Man, like maybe a year after he's had his powers, you know, Mm -hmm. he's very, like, much still in high school, and the last Spider-Man films we've had, it's like, he's kind of in high school, but not really. In Amazing Spider-Man 2, he wasn't, and then the previous Sam Raimi films, he was only in high school for the first one. So it's very much kind of like, he's, like, the new kid on the block, and he's very much, like, all these, like, kind of high-tier adult, you know, heroes, and he's like, oh, I'm kind of like the witty teenager. And so just even from that line, how he introduced himself is very kind of like kind of deadpan. Oh, hey, hey, everyone. You know, it's just like, 
I feel like they're going to nail like kind of Spider-Man's tone in the vein of he's going to be very quippy and kind of like deadpan at some parts. And I was excited. Okay. I actually thought he sounded like a child. Yeah. Like a kindergarten child. <laughs> but the, I was fine with like what he said. But the way he said it, I was like, man, you sound so young. Yeah. But I mean, I'm fine with it. I, I think it's. Yeah. I, I think it looks really cool. Just the Alex Rossness of it. Yeah. I'm immediately on board. Alex Ross is my favorite illustrator of all time. Yeah. And I'm super down with that. It's like, I'm cool with how he drew Spidey. So, yep. yeah, man. So, now that that's out of the way, what about the other things we've so- sort of seen? We saw the raft. Yep. Um, we saw War Machine go down. Yeah. We saw, uh, what else? Black Panther do some stuff. Yeah. Pull Winter Soldier off the motorcycle. Yeah, Black Panther ran as fast as a motorcycle and pulled him off. Yeah. Sweet. His suit's bulletproof. Yeah. Um, it's Ant just, Man jumped off the tip of an ear. Yeah, arrow, like, yeah. In Iron Man's hand. Yeah, yeah. That was super exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really excited for this movie. A lot of people are kind of they're worried about like, is this going to be another Ultron fiasco? Mm. Yes. And the reason I tend to be on the side that feels like it's not going to be that is because very much it feels like a Captain America movie with other like supporting casts. Even in how all the trailers have been cut, it's very much like Cap gets the most screen time. Even when people are like, oh, it's Captain America versus Iron Man, it's still the focus is on Captain America. Whether he's the movie portrays him as being on the right or the wrong side, it's very much his story. It's like his emotional ties to Bucky. And even in the stuff that they decide to cut into the trailer, like Black Widow being like, you know, just stay out of this one, like, you know, Bucky's not worth it. Like all this stuff, I very much get the feeling like it's going to be Captain America, like, you know, at the head of this with other people kind of supporting him, like in the action and the story, the plot points that take place. It's not going to be like, here's, I don't feel like it's going to be like Age of Ultron, where it's just like, here's all these people and we're going to shove them in there. And there's kind of like this convoluted storyline. We do things that like aren't necessarily like needed and it gets confusing to follow sometimes. I feel like it's going to be very like cap focused. And it's like, oh yeah, there just happens to be like a battle when this happens and there's other characters, but it's not going to be like, here's Captain America, cut back to Iron Man. Here's like what Black Widow's doing over here. Oh yeah, and here's Black Panther and Spider-Man and they're doing some stuff. Oh yeah, like this is still kind of a Captain America movie, so we're back at him. I feel it's going to be very much like we follow Cap like 75% of the movie and if it's just, he happens to have situations where there's other characters there, like, you know, the people on his team, we're going to see them. But I don't feel like it's going to jump around everywhere. So I'm very on board, I think the characters are not going to overwhelm the film. What about you? I mostly agree. I just hope that that's not a clever marketing technique because I think that is the way to do it is to center the movie emotionally Mm -hmm. in Captain America. Yeah. Um, Make it very much from his POV and kind of let us see everything through his eyes and watch it play out that way. The marketing does look like that. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to... There usually isn't a big jump in tone from Marvel's marketing to their actual yeah. movie. So I think we're okay. But there's a little bit of me that's still a little apprehensive just because the last time we saw this many characters yeah. on screen, it was Age of Ultron. <laughs> and, you know, <sighs> they don't sh- seem to be remorseful of that. No. Necessarily, because they're like 63 characters in <laughs> Infinity War. And it's like, why? Yeah. So... 
I, I don't know if they've necessarily learned their lesson. I hope they have. It kind of seems like they have. It seems like they have. And this is weird to say. It seems like because Joss Whedon isn't doing it. Yeah. That might have a lot to do. It seems like they, there's, they're in the hands of uh, two guys who really know how their way around an ensemble. Yeah, I was just about to say that. They did episodes of Arrested Development and, and episodes of Community, Community, yeah, which are very ensemble yep. uh, pieces. So, and you know, Joss Whedon, his TV stuff, they're all very ensemble too. However, when you get uh, Firefly more than Buffy, because yeah. when you get into Buffy, she's still the title character. Mm-hmm. When you get into Angel, like yes, they have their like Scooby Gangs or whatever. <laughs> it's still called Buffy. It's still called Angel. Like those are still the main focuses of those. Yeah. But you also have Joss Whedon, who's got a super iconic X Men run, and that's an ensemble. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it's it's almost weird that he failed so bad at the ensemble in yeah. Ultron, and I think that's kind of why I'm I was I was super disappointed in the movie is because we all know that Joss Whedon can handle ensembles. Yeah. So you know, I think the Russo brothers—they're hungrier, they're newer to the business, they're not burnt out. Yeah. Joss Whedon had a lot of like a lot of stuff, a lot of pressure on a, him, a lot of pressure, yeah. a lot of baggage. So I don't think there's that much on the... There's there's pressure on the Russo brothers, but I don't think they have a lot of baggage. I think they're really enthusiastic still. And one of the things from Ultron that didn't come across was enthusiasm. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like Ultron had way more hype than Civil War does. I'm getting the sense of like, oh, people are excited for Civil War, but I still feel like... there's not the same level like age of ultron was just like through the roof like oh my gosh all the these characters are coming ultron's gonna be amazing it's gonna be the second avengers movie and the first one was just like it destroyed the box office and it was amazing i felt like it just had all that pressure and like you know captain america the captain america films have been good but i don't feel like they've been hyped like that i mean winter soldier took a lot of people by surprise of how good it was that's true so that's true yeah, Captain America, I guess, isn't... I guess he's getting more and more people on board as his movies are getting yeah. like, improving in quality. But yeah, that's true. I feel like Winter Soldier came out and everyone was like, holy crap, this yeah. is really good. And it got really good word of mouth and people went to go see it. Yeah. But I don't think, like, out of the gate, it was just this, like, gangbusters yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. So that makes... That actually does make a lot of sense. But I'm just hoping that the... Once again, they know how to handle ensemble very well. If you watch a lot of community episodes they directed... They very much know how to take, like, a character or two and put them at the forefront, but then, like, explore how the ensemble moves around that. Yeah. So they have that experience. They have that skill set. I'm hoping they bring that to Captain America. It looks like they will. Yep. Uh, Either way, I think the action is going to be... Yes. Like, just so good. Man. And uh, there's a 15-minute sequence that they filmed in IMAX. Oh. Yep. So (laughs) I'm... Going to see it at IMAX. All right, I'm going with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh... I, I'm I'm so excited. Um, I would I would tend to say it's like I I'm I'm kind of slightly. I know this has the potential, like it could pull an Age of Ultron, but I'm really in the camp of I don't think it will. Yeah. I really. I, and another thing that kind of worries me is like. Age of Ultron was this super product placement-y in the sense of, like, here's Phase 3. Here's yeah. Phase 3 coming at you. Here's Phase 3. But since this is the first movie in Phase 3, I hope that is going to be lessened. So even things like, 
we're seeing Black Panther and we're seeing Spider-Man. We're seeing like, you know, The Raft or Prison 42, whatever you want to call it. You know, I I hope those things were just kind of more world building and they're not the central focus. So it's like, yeah, like we saw Spider-Man revealed and it looks like he's going to be in one of those battles. But I hope he's not like a huge central focus of the movie. You know, yeah. he'll pop in like where it makes sense. Same with Black Panther. It's like, you know, it looks like his country kind of gets drawn in to the whole situation, but it's not like, oh, and here's Black Panther for the Black Panther movie. You know, yeah. I hope it doesn't feel like that. It, and it doesn't, the trailer, the way things have been cut and shown, it feels like it's more like this is organic and it benefits the story. So it's like, you know, we see that shot of like Ant-Man on the arrow. It's like, oh yeah, like Ant-Man's in this movie. And oh, that makes sense. Like he yeah. would do that. It doesn't seem like, Oh, yeah, remember this other movie or this new property we have coming out? Here's this thing. Shove it in your face. Yeah. Yeah. True. Also, the more we can get Falcon on screen, the more... Heck, yes. Here I am. He's yeah, so Anthony good. Mackie. Oh, man. I love Anthony Mackie so much. Oh. Like, it, him showing up in Ant-Man was, like, the highlight of that movie. Yeah, that was. I was so excited yeah. when it's, like, the clouds start to part and it's, like, the Avengers base what the heck? And then, like, you get down there, and it's like, it's Falcon! Yeah. Oh, man. He's so good in that role, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, I do like that Thor isn't involved with this, because he'd yeah. just be like, I'm a god, you lose. Same with to, Hulk, yeah. Yeah, or Hulk, yeah. That was a smart choice. Yeah, to, I think they wrote themselves around that very nicely. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be really good. I think it's gonna be... Looks great. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good kickoff to the summer movie season. I think um, the tone looks very in line with it's kind of keeping in the same path of Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yep, I'm excited for William Hurt to come back as yeah. General Ross. Yep. We haven't seen him since Incredible Hulk. Yeah, it's like, hey, that movie is still relevant to yeah, MCU. This, we still think this is part of it. <laughs> That's very much what it feels like, but I love William Hurt. I think he's such a good actor. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I could we could do this whole podcast on Civil War speculation and me talking about Spider-Man, but that is not why we're here. No. So, so if you guys uh, have been keeping up with the Before and After Show Film School, you don't have a movie to watch this week. Nope. We'll be back next week with that segment. And we're going to take a short break right now and come back to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. And this week we are talking about two uh, sci-fi movies. Yes. One that came out eight years ago and the follow-up slash spiritual... Blood relative. Blood relative. According to JJ. According to the man himself. The mystery box. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It got open today. We're talking about (laughs) Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes. So I feel like we need to start at the beginning. And eight years ago, this movie, Cloverfield, came out. It was a found footage monster movie. I was super hyped about it. It lived up to my expectations. It was exciting. Um, I was not expecting what I saw, but overall, I enjoyed it. So we revisited that movie. Yes. It's a movie you'd seen a couple times, Mm -hmm. one under not as ideal circumstances, and the other one in better circumstances. And it's one that I've seen so much. And I, I absolutely love. So what did you think about it, revisiting it a third time after giving it some time? 
I liked it, and it was funny because I didn't know how you were going to watch them, but I actually ended up watching it after I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane. So did I. Which, I was hoping to watch it before, but then kind of how things happened, I was like, maybe it was better that I watched it second. Yeah, my <clears> week got away from me, so I yeah. had to watch it. I watched it actually this morning at like 6 a.m., yeah. and uh, man, that movie's aggressive for 6 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> That first 20 minutes is all you get, and then just, bang, it takes off. Yeah, so so what did you think? I liked it. Um, I think it's found footage done very well, mm. and I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just a really well-done movie. Um, I think the pacing is really good. I think they give you just enough kind of exposition and, like, character relationships. That was something that jumped out to me this time a lot better, because the past time when i had seen it i hadn't really like been able to connect the dots of like all the character relationships and why they're like who is important to who i mean i just knew like okay main guy and like romantic girl he's trying to you know save but i didn't get all the other interconnected how the the other people were related Mm -hmm. and so it was kind of cool to watch it this time and get more of that and i remember the first time i saw it along with, like, the people, the connections. I didn't understand the whole, like, it would cut to the different... The the tape, it had been taped over. Oh, yeah. And so I was super confused. I was like, what the heck? So this time it was a lot easier, like, watching it and knowing, like, okay, this is a tape in the, you know, in the recorder. And, like, I might have missed that one line when, like, they're at the party and he's like, hey, what tape is in there? Are you, like, are you taping in and... You know, he's just like, oh, this whatever tape was in here, you know. And so just even hearing that, like, helped me in understanding how the movie structurally was put together. And so I think it was, I think the times where it cuts to the old tape footage, I think that's a very good use of, like, it fits in with, like, hey, there's something, they just had this big fight or whatever, and then it cuts to, like, them together again. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Or, like you know in certain parts further on in the movie when it like kind of cut when he turns the camera off or pauses it and you see the other footage so that made a lot more sense to me and i liked it um and then you know the ending the ending was kind of hazy in my mind i was just like i know like that person dies and that person dies the guy behind the camera dies it's like does the couple die yes so i was and then watching it again it's like yes they do the bridge crumbles onto them everyone dies yep so, and yeah, so I mean, I enjoyed it. I feel like I understood things a lot more. And it's just always good to, like, I think I mentioned last time, since we've been doing the podcast and stuff, being able to go watch films I've seen previously and look at them a little bit more critically. Mm-hmm. Not like in a, I'm so much better and I know, like, all the right. film stuff and we're film critics, but just looking at it just more critically as, like, you know, the the director, you know, what he had critically in mind when he was trying to, like, the shots and even though it's like found footage people are like oh there's no direction in found footage people just do whatever that's not the case there are some there are shots that are purposefully set up a certain way framed a certain way and so it was really cool just to see that yeah i totally agree that's a super important point that you brought up but i'll I'll talk about that in a second gosh this was a countless (laughs) number of time through the movie for me and part of the reason is this movie moves man. yeah it does holy <laughs> cow this one and the one we're talking about later like they go like there is yeah. no slowing down yeah with this movie um 
And I, I, so I think that is probably why I watched it a bunch. It's real easy to watch. Yeah. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. Yep. It's not that long. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, and that was the thing, that was one of the big things that stood out, out to me is, you know, the movie's about this guy who's moving to Japan, the, his buddy's filming the night, then a giant monster attacks New York City. His, uh, not even his girlfriend, but the, the girl he's kind of had a crush on and they've hooked up once. Yeah. Have, uh, is, is stuck in her apartment building because her new boyfriend left her. And they go rescue her, and then they get on a helicopter, and then everyone dies. Yep. And that's how the movie goes down. And so, I just, <laughs> like, watching this, I was like, man, it is not a lot of time between them getting to her apartment, rescuing her, getting on a helicopter, and immediately dying. Yeah. Then it's like five minutes, I yep. think. It's so crazy. It, it just is boom, and, and it's out the gates, you know? And... I'm not sure how I felt about it. To be, I was like, oh, this could have been a little bit longer, I feel like. But they were working in a very constrained budget. They were trying to film a lot of the movie in secret. Yeah. So it kind of makes a lot of sense. And I think that um, that the plotting is real tight in this movie, and that's what I appreciate about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you there the reveal of information in this movie is really smart. Yeah. Even with the like the tape jumping back and forth to like a month earlier, which is yeah. the day after him and Beth have have gotten together for the first time have slept together for the first time and that was another thing that i missed is Hmm. that they weren't even a couple yeah had just there was like tension between them and then they like slept together and that was it yeah i thought that like for some reason i remembered it as like they were a couple that broke up yeah like they'd been dating for a while yeah Yeah. and it was just like no like he had a crush on her for like a really long time and then it was reciprocated in one night and then like it got a little messy and so it like it ended weird and then he's going off to japan yeah so and it's only a it's less than a month between those two events yeah it's April 27th to May 22nd or 3rd mm-hmm. or something. So, yeah, I had I completely missed that eight years ago somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was, that added, like, a cool layer to me where it was like, oh, man, like, he really, do- like, he clearly, like, loves, loves this her. woman. Yeah. Because they aren't even in a relationship. Yeah. And so that, like, that stood out to me more... It was really fun to see a lot of the baby people in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. T.J. Miller is super young in the movie, mm-hmm. and he's on, like, my favorite TV mm-hmm. show right now. Lizzie Kaplan is super young in the movie, and mm-hmm. she, um, she's she got on to do a bunch of stuff, and I really like her, and it's because of this movie that I really like her. J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams is at the party. I don't know if you know. Oh, really? Yeah, he's one of the party guests. Oh, dang he's, it. like, hanging out in the back- background. Um I don't know this actor's name, but the guy who plays Beth's new boyfriend, Travis. Yeah. He's the main guy on the show Superstore. Oh. Yeah. And so that was super random. <laughs> he showed up and I was like, what? And I paused it and I was like, hey, Kristen, come here. She's getting ready for work. Yeah. And uh, this comedian that I love, he hosts a podcast called Malton on Movies with Baron mm-hmm. Vaughn. Uh, comedian named Baron Vaughn. He's in it oh. for like a half second. He's he's one of the guys on the roof. He's the guy with the afro on the roof. Oh, okay. That's him. Yeah. yeah. And so he always jokes on the podcast that he was in Cloverfield and I <laughs> did not remember him in that movie. And so the whole time I was looking around and like, there aren't a lot of black people in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, is it, that doesn't look like him. He looks a little too tall. And that guy in the pink shirt has dreadlocks. I don't remember Baron Vaughn ever having dreadlocks. And then there's like a clear shot of him on the roof. Yeah. And I was like, nope, there he is. There you are. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was like fun at the party to like spot all the like people that I like now. Yeah. And it was 
one of the things I had talked about was the sound design. And I don't know if it's our TV or what, but it's a much harder watch for sound design at home because yeah. it just was not as loud and it was also six in the morning. I wish I could have seen it in theaters. Yeah. And I mean, we'll talk about this later too, but like, um, 10 Cloverfield Lane had such good sound design. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of cool that they, they, they went out of their way to make that a staple of the mm-hmm. Cloverfield movies. Yeah. Um, and what you said about found footage and not having direction, there's a lot of really cool staging in this yeah. movie. Like, the scene in the subway is so tense. Yeah. And oh, gosh. Uh, that scene still... It gets me every time. Yeah. That scene's still great. I, like, paused it, and I, like, turned to Hannah, and I was like, it's the subway part. You know, it's like they turn on the night vision, and he, like, turns around, and is like, oh, crap. Yeah. Just the way that, like... <laughs> that scene builds is really cool because like they're just walking in the dark and then HUD has that hilarious line about the flaming homeless guy. Yeah, he's like, HUD, not right now. Now's not the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm just saying, it would be really scary if a f- flaming homeless guy came charging at us right now and then they see the rats running and they turn around and there's like the light on the camera but they can't really see so Rob's mm-hmm. like, hey, turn on the night vision and then he turns on the night vision and as soon as he turns it on you see the parasites and you're like, yeah. what the heck are those? Oh, and then that whole attack sequence. Yeah, man. it's pretty man. intense. Yeah, and, like, that staging in that scene, I think, is great. Yeah. I think it's so well done, and, like, such a cool set piece. Um, it's a risky movie. Yeah. I don't remember, like, at the time, I don't really remember thinking, like, this is a huge risk, but, man, it really is. Like, it's a, it's a low-budget, nobody starring in it, movie produced by a guy who, at the time, could do no wrong because he was in charge of the biggest show on television at the time yeah lost and he chose to make this like weird like indie monster like giant monster movie where everyone dies at the end yep and there's no real conclusion it's just like you don't know like where the monster came from why it came out Mm -hmm. nothing yeah it was it was really bold and i i really don't think you could make this movie now um you don't think so no i don't think there's like a studio that would be like yeah we're on board with this (laughs) um so i I think the movie kind of came out at the perfect time when you could do something like yeah and you know jj has enough clout now to where he could pull 10 cloverfield lane off i don't think a major studio would have made that movie nope um but with cloverfield the original it came out at a really risky time it was a really um it was kind of a real pivotal moment, which is if you look back at 2008, so many good movies came out yeah. that year. Uh, Cloverfield, uh, Speed Racer, um, Dark Knight came out. Dark that Knight year. came yeah. out that year. Yeah, it's like a, it's crazy. Like, and if you, I don't remember the Oscar nominees that year, but they were also. I think Slumdog Millionaire may have come out that yeah, year. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, sounds right. So many good movies came out that year. So many good mm-hmm. movies, and. If you look at it, that was a really pivotal moment because the internet was really starting to take off. Yeah. Piracy was a real big problem in yep. 2008. You know, it was how do we get butts and seats again? And so a lot of studios took a lot of risks. Yeah. Um, you know, Speed Racer, sure as hell. <laughs> like, if the Wachowskis came to, came to them and they were like, hey, Speed Racer, Warner Brothers would be like, get out. What yeah. are you talking about? But uh. in 2008, they were like, we got to do something, man. We got to do something. So... You know, I think we're st- we may see an uptick in that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we either may start seeing 
studios making safer choices because there are more people getting out to the theater now. Yeah. It's kind of bounced back, you know. Um, Jurassic World was a big problem last year. Yeah. Because <laughs> we went to go see it at 10 a.m. And it was the longest line I've ever seen at the movie. And you're like, what? Yeah. And I was like, why is this a thing? This movie's <laughs> going to be terrible. And then it was. And then, you know, obviously we had Star Wars, which just like, yeah. was like, wreck everything. Yeah, blow up the box office. Yeah. But as a result, I'm seeing more movies sold out in the early part of 2016. And kind of weird movies like Deadpool. Yeah. Like for it to do as well as it has done. Yeah. So, you know, whereas last year I had to reschedule the time I went to see Jurassic World. And that was the (laughs) only time, that was the first time in probably a decade uh, (laughs) that I had to reschedule, that I, I ran into the problem of a movie being sold out. Yeah. This year it's happened to me twice already and we're less than three months into the, into the, (laughs) um, it happened to me with Deadpool. I tried to see it opening, opening night and it was sold out through 1030 at night. Oh wow. I had to get tickets for the next day. Um, Zootopia, I went to see on (laughs) a whim and that was sold out. I could not believe Zootopia (laughs) was sold out on a Sunday afternoon at 340 PM Zootopia opened to $73 million yeah. and made another $50 million this last weekend. Yeah. People are going to the movies again. And I think we're only going to see it get bigger from here. Um, we have another Star Wars coming out at the end of this year. It's a yeah. side story, but we're getting... It's still M- a MJ, MJ is hyped for that one. I'm cautious about that one. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not, I don't out and out hate it, but... Um, yeah, so we're seeing people get back to the movies. This could mean that they're going to start making a lot safer decisions as studios so that people will keep coming. keep coming. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. However, we've also seen two kind of like super indie movies this year that have not, they've performed okay, but movies that normally wouldn't get this treatment. We saw The Witch, which I haven't seen, but by all accounts, it's an art house horror movie. Like it's it's very like oh. ethereal and not like a traditional horror movie at all. Yeah, that got a wide release. I was so surprised that movie got a wide release. It's a movie about a witch in the 1600s with period accurate dialogue. Oh, yeah, that's not a movie that a no- yeah. big studio releases. And then we got Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is a, you know a movie that's basically three people hanging out. Like, yep. <laughs> in its simplest terms, it's it's a three-hander. Like, there are only three characters in the movie total, four yeah. if you count the disembodied voice of, of the boyfriend. So, you know, it, it, we're at this weird moment in cinema where we see these risks like mm-hmm. The Witch or last year we saw It Follows go from being a video-on-demand release to expanding into a wide release. Mm-hmm. Um, or The Witch this year with the period-accurate 1600s dialogue. I don't know why they released that wide. That's so <laughs> crazy to me. Um, or 10 Cloverfield Lane, but then we also see we're getting a Transformers movie every year for the next three years. Like, oh, no. stuff like that. So <laughs> it's it's really weird right now, and tw- 2008 was really weird because yeah. people were leaving the theater, so we were like, how do we get them back? And now people are coming back to the theater, so it's like, how do we keep them? So there's like, it's, it's this weird parallel. Yeah. So it, all that to say, <laughs> Cloverfield... Probably is is a, like Cloverfield was a big risk in two thousand eight, but yeah. it paid off, I think. Um, and it's a good movie. It's, yeah, it is. and it gave us Matt Reeves, who's a, a well respected director, and he, you know, he went on to do Let Me In, which is an American remake of Let the Right One In, which is very good. Um, both versions are. 
uh, we were talking about off mic. There's one mm-hmm. shot in Let Me In that's like one of my favorite shots in cinema history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he went on and did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which was my favorite movie of 2014. So JJ has an eye mm-hmm. for talent, and like I think he did a good job directing Cloverfield. Yeah, I think I think the way he like staged everything was yeah. really good, and just the way he plotted it out and paced it was really smart. Yeah, there was a lot of smart choices. Yeah, you know, shots of intent, not just like because a lot of people were just like found footage, the camera just goes everywhere, and like no one thinks. It's like no, you can't. yeah, no, they're very like clear choices of like okay so now he has to swing the camera here so yep. that we get this shot of clover yeah or like in the subway it's like uh hud falls and like the camera is kind of on the ground like kind of tilted up and it's like it's very purposeful to get that angle of like the monster and you kind of get to see it up close when it jumps on the girl yeah 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 um so i think i think he did a really good job and i think a lot of people have that complaint with found footage because that's kind of is what blair witch project was it was just a bunch of kids running around with cameras but they were not able to do that because they were the first people to do that so it was like this is what this is now but as the as that format um or subgenre, I guess has has grown we've needed to be a little more purposeful with do you feel like cloverfield is the pinnacle of that genre i do um people have a lot of problems with found footage movies i personally love them and i'm actually i forgive a lot of found footage movies for (laughs) things i would not forgive other movies for so but you think it's the peak of like is it better than Shyamalan's recent found footage yeah it is although i did like that movie um i wasn't crazy about it but i liked it yeah there's this movie called As Above, So Below. That's a found footage movie. Oh, yeah, I've heard you talk about that. Uh, it's actually probably not that good of a movie, but the end is real strong. Mm-hmm. Um, the found footage is okay in it. Um, I think a movie like... Uh, I don't know if you remember this movie called Unfriended, I think, that came out last year. The one... like the It was very like social network. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, like they were doing stuff on social media. Yeah, like, yeah, the whole movie takes place on computer screens. Yeah. So it's all like Skype and like IMs and yeah. stuff. Like, I think that's such a cool idea for found footage. Like, why not? Yeah. You know, um, I by all accounts, the movie itself isn't very good, but like, oh. <laughs> that's a cool idea. I think that's a cool, like, um, structure yeah. for a movie. Like, that's a really cool experimental thing. And it makes sense. Like, the way we interact with our technology now is like... It's more than ever. Yeah. You know, so why wouldn't we have that? So I, I, I think that's a, a really mm-hmm. cool idea. And uh, I also heard that if you watch it on a laptop or a computer, it is way more effective than if you saw it in theaters. So maybe oh, that okay. has something to do with it. But yeah, like I think that, and that was found footage technically because it yeah. was like the files on the computer. But I think that's a cool, like there's like cool things to be done in found footage. And I think people write it off and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think there's something, and there's something immersive about it, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, we had talked about last week. I felt like I was in the streets of New York running away from this monster with these people. Yeah. That's why I, I would have loved to seen this on the big screen because oh, you yeah. probably even feel that even more. And just like the way that the sound is mixed and the sound design yeah, especially in the scene where the uh, the first scene where the military attacks the monster and they're yeah. like on the streets and they're like, what the heck is going on? Uh, that scene, it really sticks out in my mind as just sounding so good and like being so immersive in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Cloverfield holds up. I yeah, think. The I, CG I think. is a little... Eh. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's fine. Yeah. Um, there's not like... 
There's maybe like one or two scenes where we see like the monster in full, but I feel like a lot of times they kind of keep him in shadow, so it's yeah. not like blatantly like this is 2008 CGI. You yeah. know, it's it's fine. That's true. Plus, I feel like the moment at the end when like the monster is towering over HUD and it kills him, like that moment's super earned. Yeah, I feel like like we've always kind of seen glimpses of him. We've gotten like a few good looks. Yeah, it's at like him. we see his face or like we see him from the helicopter or something. Yeah. yeah, but we've never seen it like right there up close and personal. So yeah, that like that moment is really really good and like. I think he used that idea sparingly, like, instead yeah. of every other shot being this huge, like, you know, <laughs> shot of, of the monster, it was just, like, we get this one at the very end, and we see how, like, imposing it really is. Yeah. And I thought that was, like, really effective. Yeah. Yeah, so Cloverfield's good. Yeah, it is. Uh, fast forward eight years, and uh, we get a surprise trailer two months before this movie comes out. For this movie where it's like three people in a bomb shelter yep. or something. One of them is John Goodman. <laughs> one of them's a guy I've never seen. And one of them's the, the girl from, from Scott Pilgrim. From Scott Pilgrim. And that's kind of it. Yep. And we all we know is J.J. Abrams is producing it. And it's called 10 Cloverfield Lane. And they said it's the blood relative to Cloverfield. It's not necessarily related uh, directly to Cloverfield. Yeah. But it is... It is Cloverfield-esque. Yes. Sort of. Um, <laughs> so, you know, two months go by and we see the release of this movie. And the movie itself is three people in this bomb shelter and we don't quite know what's going on till the end. Yeah. Um, we do learn that that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character uh, has had a recent falling out with a fiancé. Yeah. Oh, spoilers, by the way. Just in case you're new to the show, full spoilers, uh, this is a movie that you probably shouldn't spoil yourself on, but it's, uh, it, so if you're worried about that, get out now. Yeah, leave, because it's really worth going into blind. Yes. Uh, now that that's out of the way, she's had a recent breakup with a fiance, she gets run off the road, uh, and she wakes up in this bunker with John Goodman and <laughs> this guy named Emmett, and uh, John Goodman is this doomsday prepper guy who is like, the world has ended! but doesn't really show any proof that the world has ended. And so we kind of... And he doesn't give a lot of information about anything. Yeah, so we're not necessarily on his side. A series of events occur, she escapes, and we find out that aliens have invaded the Earth, and she wards off one of them, and she drives off into the sunset, escaping uh, the clutches of Howard, who is John Goodman's character, who we'll get to in a second, is actually super creepy. That was a very quick summary for a two... A little over a two-hour movie, right? A little under. A little under, okay. Yeah, a little over an hour and a half. I think it was only an hour 40. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, yeah. too. So <laughs> ten, that's that's the basic summary of 10 Cloverfield Lane, and uh, I think we it's important to get all that plot up front because there's a lot to unpack. Oh, man. So, uh, Corey, what did, what did you think? You had a very different viewing yes. experience than I did. Uh, let me just say up front, JJ fit a lot into the mystery box this time. Yeah, The mystery did. bunker. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I was going to go see this with you, but I was busy Friday night. Like, we were having people over. So I was just like, I'll go see it Saturday while we're doing laundry. And I knew up front this is the type of movie that Hannah would not want to go see with me. Um, and so I was like, I'll just go by myself. So <laughs> I went to the theater by myself, and I was excited for it, but... I was, I was not expecting, like, how this movie hit me. I mean, we'll, we'll get into, like, the whole part of the movie, but just, like, I left this movie kind of 
I don't know if awestruck's the right word, but it's just very like, <laughs> I left this kind of in this weird like tension, anxiety. I felt very claustrophobic. We'll get into that more too. And I just kind of had a, I had a silent like 10 minute drive home. It was, this movie, it got in my head <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was kind of my viewing experience. What about you? Yeah, uh, so this is show history. It's the first time ever I've seen the movie we're about to talk, or the new release we're about to talk about twice before we actually recorded the show, <laughs> which means I saw it twice in three days. Um, I saw it Friday night with a couple of my friends, and we kind of talked about it at the theater and decompressed, and yeah. I saw it with Kristen Sunday afternoon, but both times... Uh, I had someone with me that could talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, you did not get that uh, tension release. Because the first thing I said to my friends Friday night is, uh, you feel like we can breathe again? Or... Yep. <laughs> I felt like uh, the, the female lead on yeah. screen. That's how I felt. Yeah. Which is so, a credit to the film. Uh, yes. Yeah, very much so. Uh, once again, a very immersive movie. Yes. Very immersive. So, I... Right out of the gate, what do we think about... This is a very, like, character-heavy piece. Yes, it, it is. It's, there's three people in this movie. <laughs> that's it. Three people and the voice of Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And a lady. <laughs> and that's all. And so we... You know, there's a lot of work that these three have to do. Yes. So what did you think of that? <clears throat> they were... All fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, John Goodman is a standout. That's not to take away for, from the other two actors. They do a great job. But he was incredible. Like, I mean, I've always known, like, oh, yeah, like, I like John Goodman. He's a good actor. Like, I like to when he shows up and stuff. But, man, he owned this movie. Yeah, and he was so creepy and so, like, calculating. And so, like, you couldn't, you couldn't predict him. Like... He, he plays this, like you mentioned, this kind of crazy, like, doomsday, like, conspiracy theory guy, and he's prepared for, like, the worst and everything, but the movie does this really good thing where it's, like, you're kind of aligned with the heroine, so you can't, you get these pieces of John Goodman's character, and you're like, are you telling me the truth? But then, like, that's contrasted with, like, a scene where he acts, like, crazy, yeah. or he does something, like, completely jarring, and you're like... I don't know if I want to trust you. And so you just, you live in this tension. And like one of the things I noticed about this movie and then going to watch Cloverfield is these movies both do a really good job of having like this kind of constant, like, I, I want to say undercurrent, but it's kind of like at the forefront, this constant like stream of tension. And even though mm -hmm. both of them do it very differently, because in Cloverfield, it's a lot more like, kind of like action-packed like fast-paced tension of like we're moving we're going like things are happening and then in 10 Cloverfield Lane it's like things are moving but it's weird because like you said it's a character piece and it's just these three characters but just how the film just kind of keeps you going and you're so uncertain and like even when you start to you start to settle into like maybe I can trust him and the movie is like kind of wants you so it's like they put on the feel good vibey music and they're doing stuff then all of a sudden some John Goodman has some crazy scene where it's like oh man I can't who are you like yeah. so man so this the the way that they keep the tension in this film is so good and um you know they're down in this bunker and she doesn't know what's going on and like you know she's trying to get this information from John Goodman she kind of talks to the other character Emmett and like you know he kind of 
gives her some stuff, but she's like, I don't, I don't know about this. And the feeling, it was weird. I was sitting in this theater. It wasn't like a packed theater. It was a Saturday afternoon. And I felt like I was down there in that bunker with them. I felt so claustrophobic. It just felt like John Goodman's presence just like loomed like everywhere. I mean, like he, he's, he's a big man. He's intimidating. And just like the way some scenes were shot, I'm just like, oh crap, it's worse to be down here with him than maybe (laughs) out there. And I mean, like, we'll talk about that later, but, um, I just felt this sense of like tension and anxiety and just really like claustrophobia that I don't think I felt in a long time. It was a it was a fun movie going experience, but it was just very like wow. I didn't know a film could make me feel like this. So uh, I, I I keep going. But what about you? Um, yeah, I think I think everyone did a really good job. Yeah. in this movie. Uh, I mean, John Goodman it is, is it's a masterclass <laughs> from this guy. Yeah. I've always loved John Goodman, even back in the Roseanne days. I think he's a really likable guy. Yeah. This movie preys on that. Yeah, it does. And uh, in the best way possible. And he's he's just such... he On top of being like super cuddly and likable, he's a really good actor. And yeah, I think he is. It's hard, we, we forget that sometimes because we're just like, oh, John Goodman's so adorable. But then yeah. it's like, no, he's got chops. Yeah, he does. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is so yeah, freaking good yeah, in this movie. Yeah, she is. She plays, like, a video game heroine through and through. Yeah. Like, uh, right now, they're rebooting Tomb Raider. Mary Elizabeth Winsett for yep. Lara Yeah, good choice. Yep. Uh, you know, and I think it's because she's got gigantic eyes, which in, you know, usually, and even in a movie she's been in, we see women with gigantic eyes, we immediately picture them as, like, quirky and adorable. But here, they kind of flip that on its head, and, like, she's very attractive, but yeah. that's not, like, a, a really a sticking point with the character. They flip that on its head, because usually they'll exploit that that big-eyedness to be like, look at how pretty she is. But in this, they use her eyes to be like, look at how calculating she yeah. is. And... So you just see her eyes are just moving back and forth the whole movie. Yeah. And she's just thinking about her next move constantly. Oh, man. She then the way she just like pulls it off in her face. Like, yeah, the way her eyes look and the way her she's able to shape her face around what her eyes are doing. Incredible. Like, yes. Career defining performance from her. I think she was so good in this movie. I like her anyway. I think yeah. she's good in most things, but man, she was good in this. Uh, whatever his name is, as Emmett, he had kind of like the least to do. And yeah. He had kind of a job that was a little thankless, especially because he gets shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's the only character who really dies. Um, but he, he kind of just had to serve as like the guy who's on this side, but now he's on this side. Yeah. And, but he was able to bring like a humanity to the character. Yeah. I think they did a really good job in giving him at least one scene to really humanize him, which is yeah. what I was talking about how he had the scholarship to college, got scared, got wasted the night before to yeah. ensure he didn't make the bus to go to college. That one scene kind of let you know the person he was. Yeah. And what he was dealing with in the bunker. And that's the thing is, These three people all had things in their past that they were dealing with. Yeah. And it just shows, like, three different ways that can manifest, you know? Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, Michelle, she runs away from her problems all the time. Yeah. That's ultimately what kept her alive. And all three of the problems are ultimately what kept them alive, but are also what ultimately could lead to their demise in the bunker. Yeah. So there's this really good tension in, like, who they are as people 
define this. So yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is constantly running from her problems. Emmett, he got scared. He gets scared really easily. You know? Yeah. He, he's a real, like, anxious guy. John Goodman's character, he's lost his wife and and daughter, daughter. to his sort of more, uh, to his crazier sensibilities. Yes. You know, uh, John Goodman's crazier sensibilities pay off. They, yes. They allow him to go in the bunker. Um, Emmett's fear drives him to the bunker. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Mary Elizabeth Winstead going, like, leaving her fiancé leads her to the bunker it leads to howard running her off the road and yeah. taking her in but you know as a, what we see is is you know emmett's fear eventually leads to him getting shot yeah uh, howard's mm-hmm. want for his daughter back leads to him being like a huge creep yeah and one of the best things the movie does is he's basically taken in mary elizabeth winstead as a surrogate daughter yep and he's done this before but he's got such this, like, he's so off-kilter that he's killed the last woman that he brought Yeah. Um, and the movie never quite makes it clear whether or not his intentions are sexual. Yeah. And I, I would say that it's not, it's, it's not necessarily implied, but it also is heavily implied. Like, yeah. It does a really good job, like, kind of letting you decide, you decide how dark you want to make the movie. And I think that's one of the smartest choices they made because once you start letting your viewers get into their own head and make their own decisions, you start making your viewers scared of themselves. So if you want to go that dark route, which I did, by the way, full disclosure. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I did. Like then I got like scared of like, whoa, why was that in there? Like they. I was like, what is he going to do to her? Like yeah. how much how much screen time do we have left? Yeah. Um. You know. But it, so they. Howard and Emmett give in to their fears. Uh, Michelle overcomes her fears. She's yeah. able to escape the clutches of, of John Goodman and essentially the bunker, which represents their fear. Like yes. The trap of fear. And she escapes the bunker and there's big aliens outside. Yeah. And Spoilers. Yeah. And she is <laughs> able to face one of them down, blows one of them up with a Molotov cocktail, and uh. Uh, eventually goes to Houston to actually help in rebuilding yeah. after this alien attack has happened. So she the the movie is thematically ultimately about facing your fears. Yes. And it's a really good study on what that looks like. Um you know, it also helps that her fear stems from an abusive father-daughter relationship and so she sees that already in Howard and she decides she's gotten a second chance to face that abusive yeah. relationship and so she chooses to um overcome it this time so that was like that was like it's so well plotted this movie's so well plotted um and the claustrophobia like you said like it's a small bunker there's not a lot of geography to it you know and then they double down on it by making her crawl through the yes they do (laughs) oh man that last scene just uh i was so you know there's like the fire and she's knocked howard into like the acid and Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, get out of there. There's smoke coming through the vent. You just feel the tightness. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, you see his, like, knife blade come up through the vent. So like, good. And him screaming and stuff. And it's just like, oh, oh, just get out of there. Just get out. And then, like, you know, even when she gets up there and, like, all the smoke's coming in and she's trying to freeze the lock off. And you're like, is she going to get out? Is she going to get out? Like, is the lock going to, like, freeze and break off? 
man, it, it was just that was done so well. Yeah, that that whole like climactic sequence it was just done like perfectly. Yeah, and uh, well, well, we'll, we'll talk about the yeah, we'll. Um, so before we get into the Cloverfieldness of it all, um, yes, Dan Trachtenberg, first time director, he's only directed one short before. It was a short about the video based around the video game Portal. Oh. What do we think of him as director? I say he hit a home run this time. Yeah, this yeah. was amazing. Like I, I was one of those people, and I feel like you know we'll 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 this we'll talk about like in the cloverfield kind of like aesthetic of this movie but i was going in not expecting cloverfield and i i was just kind of had open expectations and man he just blew it out of the water the writing was so good a lot of the the shot composition because you're like okay we're down this bunker like there's not a lot of like real estate down here how do we show things differently and like tell a story that still moves and has a lot of tension like i said it has all this tension that runs through it and he did it yeah he did man so good so yeah i say he hit a home run with this yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I think his shots are so interesting always. Like, yes. He's constantly finding new ways to show you the bunker. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like, I never would have thought that in a million years. Like, that he... <laughs> I, you think immediately he's going to run out of shots. And yeah. going to look real boring. But just down to the way, like, he painted... He had the wall painted in Michelle's room. Like, half of it's green, half of it's pink. So he can just shoot on the green half. He can just shoot on the pink half. Yeah. You know, one of her light bulbs is burnt out when she gets down there. So they replaced the light and now it's lit differently. And then yeah. she gets one of the, the daughter's lamps and yep. now it's lit differently again. Like he's constantly finding organic ways to make the set look different, mm -hmm. even though they are only like in this limited resource. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so smart. Uh, just smart decisions all the way around on this guy. You know, uh, the opening sequence is... We, we talked about this off mic. Hmm. The opening sequence is just rip-offs yeah. of other movies. It opens with a shot that looks like the first Cloverfield. <laughs> uh, and then it goes to a shot from Jaws where it shows the bottle of scotch oh, uh, yeah. on the thing. And then she walks in front of it. And yeah, and it just transitions. The yeah. transition is to the bottle of scotch not being on there anymore. Yeah, Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, a shot from The Shining where it sh it's an overhead shot of her driving through the city. Smash cut, or match cut, I guess. Match cut to her driving through the countryside now, so it shows time has passed. It looks mm -hmm. exactly like The Shining when they're driving to the Overlook Hotel. Um, there's a shot from uh, Psycho where she goes to get gas. The music is very reminiscent of Psycho in that sequence. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a shot, the way he shoots the car accident that she's in, he keeps the camera very steady and static in there. Kind of reminds me of the shot that Matt Reeves did in Let Me In, which is Sam Me, of the car accident in that movie. Mm -hmm. And then she wakes up in the bunker. She's in nothing but a white tank top and her underwear, which is the exact costuming for Ripley in the Alien movie. And her arc is very much the same. This movie parallels <laughs> Alien so, so, so much just replace the xenomorph and alien with john goodman and that's it you know it's they're confined to the nostromo in alien it's about her trying to escape she eventually finds a way to escape and it continues into aliens which we get a little taste of at the end of this movie where there's actually more of a threat outside of the nostromo yeah than there necessarily was inside of it 
So it's very reminiscent of you know, and not <laughs> not in a, not in a bad way, or I don't feel like he ripped everything off, but yeah. just in like he knows his influences and he knows how to cannibalize them and then put them back out in a way that fits his style. So too. is he a better JJ than JJ? Yes, <laughs> yes he is, and that's the thing is JJ has a, an eye for spotting new JJs who are better at being him <laughs> than him. Uh, JJ's a very good producer. He's an okay director. Um, is he is he a half for half right now, MJ, with you? Uh, no, like, I, here's the thing. JJ was on the Nerdist podcast on Friday with Dan Trachtenberg, the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. JJ seems awesome. I want to hang out with that guy. I want to meet him. He definitely has a superior knowledge of film. He knows what he's doing. It's just that I think he's got a self-confidence issue. Mm -hmm. Um, He never feels that confident in his material. And so I think him being a producer, he doesn't have to back the material necessarily. Yeah. So he's just like, he reads a script that he likes and he's like, this is good from my taste. I didn't create this. Yeah. You know? So I think, I think as a producer, he's just, he's more comfortable because there's not as much pressure on him. Like, that's the other thing, too. He's taken on two of the most beloved franchises in the history of culture. Yeah, that's true. And so there's just a lot of pressure on him to make good decisions. And yeah. he has mistaken good decisions. I'm not saying he's made bad decisions, but he's mistaken good decisions for safe decisions. Yeah. So, you know, and it makes total sense why you would make safe decisions. Like, if someone came up to me tomorrow and was like, direct a Star War, I would be like, no. No. <laughs> You know, so even the fact that he felt like he wanted to rise to that occasion is kind of astounding to me. Yeah. Um, But, like, my biggest problem with the movie is it's very, it plays it very safe. Yeah. And he doesn't have to do that as a producer. Yep. So, and that's when the mystery box works the best is when he's producing it. Yeah. Um, He's a very honest guy. If you listen to that Nerdist podcast, he's very open about everything, which is why I think the mystery box doesn't suit him as a director. He's better when he's telling you everything. Yeah. Because the stories he tells on Nerdist are super engaging. He knows how to tell really well fleshed out stories. And so when he intentionally holds that back in service of the mystery box, it feels (laughs) kind of disingenuous. When it's coming from him as a director. Yeah. When it's coming from him as a producer, it's paid off in Cloverfield and... uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. So I think if he was able to find a better balance in the mystery box, uh, the mystery box would be better. uh, Better served by him. So that's... I mean, that's my J.J. Yeah. So uh, all that to say, the Cloverfieldness of it all, um, it's real polarizing, Yes. Um, you know, the, the we've talked about it a lot. She escapes the bunker. She kills John Goodman. The you essentially explodes. have the climax of the film before mm-hmm. the film ends. Yes. And so you have this climax with John Goodman, and then she gets out, and she sees this giant alien ship floating over the cornfields. It gets She gets the attention of it through a car alarm, runs into a chicken coop, and sees this smaller, like, four-legged alien creature yeah. running around, too. Eventually ends up in a confrontation with the big alien ship where she blows it up with a Molotov cocktail uh, hears on the radio that the entire southern seaboard has been attacked by aliens and that humanity has overcome this threat but they need help rebuilding in Houston or uh, you can go to Baton Rouge to go to a safe zone she's faced at the crossroads of going to Baton Rouge or Houston makes the decision to face the yep. threat head on Go to Houston. Yeah. So that's kind of the Cloverfield connection. 
However, it's a little <laughs> muddy because the yes. director said that the movie takes place in an alternate timeline. Yeah. Or I was, an alternate universe. I was kind of confused by that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I saw it and gut reaction. I'm watching it. We get out of the bunker. It's just like, John Goodman's dead. I hope he's dead. Like, there was part of me that was kind of like half expecting him to show up yeah, like just like all drippy yeah it's like <laughs> he, he he nothing holds him back so i'm like I, I don't know maybe he will do it that doesn't happen and she's kind of like can i breathe the air i can breathe the air like she kind of has these moments of panic and so i'm just like i feel like this could be a good place for the film to end and then all of a sudden it's like alien spaceship it feels like it comes out of nowhere we can talk a little bit more. It's like, oh, I understand looking back at the film. It doesn't come out of nowhere, but it feels like it comes out of nowhere. And then just like you, like you said, that whole situation happens. She gets picked up in the car. The monster is about to eat her and she does blow it up with the Molotov cocktail. I thought a good place for the film to end would be the truck gets dropped. It hits the ground and we go to black. That feels very Cloverfield ish to me. Yes. But that's not what happens. And so just upon my first viewing, I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't hate it. It doesn't ruin the movie for me because I kind of view it as like, if you're looking at the plot structure of like, you know, we have all the rising action, the tension, and then we do have the climax in the bunker and the escape and her confrontation of like John Goodman and what he represents for overcoming that fear. And this is kind of like falling action. It's just kind of like whatever. But it still just kind of feels like tacked on. It doesn't belong. It's not uh, there. It's not okay. like done poorly or anything. It just feels kind of weird. And so, but as the more I've sat and thought about it, I'm like, okay, I can understand how this fits in and like the Cloverfield branding. And like I said, it feels like the the alien spaceship, alien creature comes out of nowhere, but. I would love to go watch the movie again, and I'm sure you have noticed this, but when they're in the bunker, the lights do go off, they do hear some of those sounds and stuff, mm -hmm. and so the first time you see that alien and, like, she's confronting it, I put together, it's like, those were the sounds we were hearing. Yes. Like, it's very much, it's very clear that it's, like, it's making the same sort of sound, because John Goodman, like, spews, when they hear the sounds a couple times in the bunker, he spews out all these conspiracy theories. Oh, now they're doing, like, a ground sweep with, like, their people, and... When she gets out there and sees everything, it's like, that could have very well be, like, what they were doing. And so, it's like, okay, it doesn't come out of nowhere. But it just feels a little bit jarring. Maybe a second viewing would help me <laughs> rectify that ending. Mm. But those are my thoughts. What about you? Uh, you know what? I kind of like it because it, it's, it's still, even though she ultimately triumphs, it's still kind of the downer ending that Cloverfield has in that... Howard's right. Yeah. Like, in the end, he is right that something catastrophic has happened, and he was right to go in that bunker. So, ultimately, like, she still owes, like, owes that to him, you know, to admit that he wasn't wrong. And he even has that line at the beginning of the movie where he's like, you know, the Russians have some nasty stuff, and if the Martians finally figured out a way to get here, well, what they have will make the... He calls them the Ruskies. Yeah. He says uh, they'll, they'll have the Ruskies. It'll have what it'll make what the Ruskies have look like sticks and stones. And it's the Martians here, and like there's like poisonous gases and like yeah. crazy like four legged dog aliens, <laughs> with, like two faces but no yeah. eyes. Like 
they're so crazy looking and like a giant like squid beak airplane thing. Yeah, like, that's weird. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so it's it's this it's it's not nihilistic because she has overcome her abuser. Yeah, but it's still like the kick in the pants is he was right. I still, I, I just look back and it's like, yeah, he, he was right. Like, even a, a broken clock is right, you know, twice a day. Twice a day. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, he was I still mean, crazy and unhinged. Yes. And... <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that, that is definitely another way to read it, too. But it also lets her um, face a bigger fear than the normal fear she's used to. She's used to an abusive father. Yeah. She's used to running away after a dumb fight with her fiancé. She's not used to giant aliens yeah and so she has now taking her newfound empowerment in the fact that she was able to leave her abuser yeah or that she was able to face her abuser even and confront him to get away from it rather than just running away yeah she was able to face to face confront him overcome him uh outsmart him overpower him and and get out yeah and so now she's, like, super empowered, and so she is able to face this new fear. Yes. And I think it's this, like, I, I think it's really satisfying from that aspect. Of yeah. Like, you know, you, you, rather than implying that that's going to be the case, because they very well could have just had her get in the car, and then it's like, come to Houston, go to Baton Rouge, and that's the only, like, sci-fi stuff you get. Or she drives away, and you see the alien spaceship thing in, like, the background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in this, you <clears> get to see her actually rise to that occasion. Yeah. And so I liked that. I, I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, as far as connection to the overall Cloverfield universe, I think right now the problem lies in... JJ knows that he wants an expanded Cloverfield universe, but he doesn't know how he wants it. How to fit it. How, how to fit, fit these it. together. Yeah. So I think there's a couple options they can do now. They have another movie slated for next year that's right now called The God Particle. Rumor has it that might get a Cloverfield rename, much like how this one started off as The Cellar and then shot under the name Valencia mm-hmm. and might get a Cloverfield rename. Yeah. That seems to be the prevailing theory. I think right now, uh, that idea is still in the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can, you, if if you decide, okay, these are all connected in the same universe through somehow, like through some whatever. Yeah. You can go that way. I think maybe the smarter way to go is say, Cloverfield means the Twilight Zone. So... You know, the Twilight Zone doesn't take place in the same universe. Yeah. It's all these just sort of, like, supernatural stories. Yeah. That happen. So you could blank... You could you could mark it as that. Like, they they feel very Twilight zone anyway. So if you just say, oh, yeah, Cloverfield is just this umbrella for these paranormal or extraterrestrial stories we want to tell. Yeah. You can do that and have it be, like, the Twilight Zone. And that's why everything's got... I mean, Twilight Zone doesn't have Twilight Zone in every title of every episode. Yeah. But it was also a TV series. This is a film series. So... You can fit them under that uh, umbrella. Yeah, and I feel like that that makes sense. Yeah, so I think right now it may even still be too early to tell. I think we may need a third Cloverfield movie to see how they really want to decide it. Is there any other, like, spoilers or any... Not spoilers, but I guess, like, Easter eggs that tie the films together? I was really, like, looking for that. I mean, they have some kind of thematic things a little bit like i said like i feel like the way that they use tension and stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's, but, it's more like that kind of stuff because like especially once what i noticed the second mm-hmm. time around is this movie actually like 
I thought it was kind of slow when we saw it up until uh, they bring out the barrel of acid and then boom, it goes. I mean, yeah. it just moves to the end. But what I noticed the second time is it actually moves pretty quick to the barrel scene, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hadn't noticed that, really. And so I feel mm-hmm. like the pacing is very much the same. It's not as breakneck as yeah. Cloverfield. But uh, I think that's a lesson learned from the original Cloverfield, too, is, like, maybe we let stuff breathe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, there's some thematic connections. Uh, there are, like, certain shots kind of mirror. Like, the opening shot of the movie looks kind of like the closing shot mm-hmm. of Cloverfield. Um, the scene when she is running away from the truck to get away from the ship is handheld. I don't know if you noticed that, but it looks like a found footage movie when she's running into the chicken coop. Oh, I don't know if I caught that. Yeah, it, it shot very much like a scene from Cloverfield. Like, it's real shaky and like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was like... I thought it was like a cool little uh, Easter egg. Yeah. Like, just a little hint. But as far as like anyone acknowledging the events of the first Cloverfield... No, whether or not this takes place at the same time as the events of the first Cloverfield, no. And that's part of that is because they've said it takes place in an alternate universe or whatever. So yeah. it seems like they may be setting up to just like, Cloverfield is Twilight Zone. Yeah, I think that, that seems like the smartest way to go yeah. as so, of now. So yeah, I'm fine with them not being connected in that way. Um, just as long as they interesting marketing uh, yes. experience. <laughs> so anything else? No, I mean, um, it, it was, it was a great movie. <laughs> like it's I really said, good. I wasn't expecting, I, I, I wasn't expecting Cloverfield again. And if you go into it with that type of expectation, I feel like you won't be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I still very much appreciate the risk that they took. Like, yeah, this is I do too. Super risky movie. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to slap the Cloverfield name on it and, you know, definitely, I'm sure, have some people who are upset that yeah. it's not connected to Cloverfield whatsoever, necessarily. Um, but I think it's I think it's a really cool experiment. Yes. Still, and and I think it's it's much like the original has a lot of bold choices in it. Yeah. And so I really liked it. Like it doesn't necessarily hold up to repeated viewings, just because. Yes. I was going to say, I don't know. I got, I feel like I got every, because there isn't a ton of foreshadowing in the movie. Yeah. Um, so the mystery unfolds very much holding a bunch of information back from you. Yeah. And so going through, I wasn't able to like spot a bunch of stuff that I missed the first time. Yeah, there's not really, it kind of gives it to you as the movie wants you to. Yes, very much so. Figure it out or develop like your own like perception like you were talking about. Yeah, so... That is like that's not a detriment. Yeah, it definitely was like well, all right, one one time, maybe two times would be enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's a good movie, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was really good. So yep, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at MJ Smith eight nine one, and I am at uh, Cat in the Hat forty nine. And you can follow the show at Before and After Pod. That's at Before the letter N After Pod. Tell us what you thought about Cloverfield. You know, did you like, well, 10 Cloverfield Lane and Cloverfield. But tell us, did you like 10 Cloverfield Lane? Did you feel like the ending was too tacked on? Was it too JJ in there? What do you think? Yeah, uh, email the show, before and after show at gmail.com. Like the Facebook page, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. Give us a review. Rate us, please. Uh, Helps get us on the charts. 
Yeah. Um, and we have some stuff coming down the pipe. We do have some stuff coming down the pipe. But more on that next week. Yes, a lot more on that next week. Yeah. Um, it's exciting. It's cooking. We've got our own mystery box. Yes, so, uh, yes indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, until next time, go watch Cloverfield. I get, yeah, that fits. <laughs> Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>